Good morning. Wonderful to be together again. Uh, you want to open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. <clears throat> Have you ever heard the saying, he wants his bread buttered on both sides. Ever heard that saying? <laughs> what do you think it means? I'm, I'm really open. Now, this is, uh, I, I need you to help me. What does, that, what does that mean? He wants his bread buttered on both sides. He wants everything, yeah? That's not a bad thing, but give more clarity. He likes butter, yeah? <laughs> this is not a trick question. I'm, I'm genuine. What do you think it means? He wants it? He wants his cake and eat it. All right, that's the same saying. So someone says he wants the, what did you say? He wants both, yeah? Sometimes the older people look at the younger people and say they, you know, they want the, the full check, but they want to do half the work. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a judgment, actually, but it's, uh, there's some truth in it. Anyone else want to add to it? Ah, wants the best for the minimal effort, yeah. Wants his bread buttered on both sides. I think Christianity for me or life is a nice, wholesome slice of bread buttered on one side. Should we go home? <laughs> well, think about it. You know, you've got, you've got in, in, in our faith, you've got process, then you've got promise. Uh, in life, you've got um, effort and reward, pain and the gain. Uh, it's just what life is. Um, even the motto of Josh Jane is dying to live. The bread's buttered on one side. In every relationship, there's, there's wrestle and connection. Uh, everything has this dynamic. Now, I want to put a disclaimer in there. We can't narrow all of life right down to this. But I think what I want to do today is Speak about the core of life. Speak about the essence of life. Yes, there's eating and drinking and enjoying life, and there's so much happening. Last night we had a party celebrating uh, the new baby boy coming in the Oxley's life. Life has got much to it, but, but the essence of life will always have this, this uh, dichotomy, this, this finding life and losing life. It's just what it is. Um, maybe tell someone, I think we're going to speak the truth today. Tell someone next to you. Ons gaan die waarheid praat vandag. So look at, look at 1 Corinthians. It says this, and I think it somehow epitomizes what we're speaking about. It's, this is Paul speaking. He says, everyone who competes for the prize, that's the butter. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. There's the cost. 
temperate in all things. Look what he says. I like this. Just bear with me a little bit. Um, um, go to verse 24, the latter part of verse 24, if you can go there. It says, run in such a way, I love Paul's language, run in such a way that you may obtain it, speaking of the price. And then he says, going back to verse 25, the one who competes for the prize, you can see the butter, is temperate in all things. What does that mean? Well, it means everything, everything somehow bows down so that the goal can be reached. I've had the privilege of, uh, yeah, the privilege of getting to know AJ Carlitz. He's a professional athlete. He was standing there for a moment. Why don't you quickly stand, Carlitz? They can see you. And uh, I was in his home, and there was a photograph of one of his significant wins. And just uh, he's, an, he's a running athlete, and it was just like smiles, and people were celebrating. Uh, incredible moment of the butter. But before I knew him, I would see him running. So before I actually knew him, I would see him running often on the side of the road. And I remember having the thought when I saw him running, this man knows what it is to run through the pain. He had that look about him. I know what it is to run through the pain. And his life, I think, in many ways has been tempered, has been adjusted so that he can be an athlete and win the prize. It's just a, a language of how life works. Let's go to Mark 9, verse 34. Can, I, can you just bear with me a little bit longer? I mean, I, I could tell you a nice story now and sort of let you, but can I just push this a little bit further? Just a little bit, okay? And then we'll tell a nice story. Um, <clears throat> go to Matthew 9, verse 34. So, book of Mark. So I say Matthew, sorry, Mark, sorry. Why don't you put it up there for us? Matthew 9. Matthew 8, sorry. Mark 8, 34. Oh. Someone pray for me in tongues. Tell the story, uh. You know, no, I, I don't want to make any negative confessions there, but it's like since I'm over 50... My goodness, it's like the memory can really mess with us. Uh, at work, I'm calling Darren, Daryl now. <laughs> so, there's been a real change in me, and I'm calling Daryl, Daryl, but at work, <laughs> Darren's becoming Daryl. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no, it's, it is quite something. But uh, a similar language here, uh, Jesus is, uh, this is Jesus, and he, he calls the people to himself. I like the the context. He calls the people to himself and the disciples. And he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, verse 35, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Let me say it another way. Whoever desires Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me so that he can save his life and gain Christ. See, the, you can't get around this. It's just the way, the way of the kingdom. 
But I want you to focus not on the, the what and how. I want you to see the why and the who. So Hannes very eloquently shared with us, I think it was last week or the week before, that it's the, it's the why and the who that captures our hearts. So important. And let me talk a little bit about that. You know, it's, it's, he invites us. So I, I love, he says, he says, look, he tells us the horrible truth. You need to learn to deny yourself and take up your cross, which is, which is being armed with the posture that you're willing to do anything that it takes to follow him. That's big. But then he says this. He, he first draws everyone in. So he's not making it hard for us. You must understand that. A lot of people focus on the denying part, and there is a real sharp edge to denying yourself. But he first draws them right in, brings them close. And he says, he, says, he doesn't say must. He doesn't use the word must. Yeah, Marty, I think, mentioned to us that the Australians hate the word must. He, he, I think something manifests in him when you use the word must. But, but Jesus says, he who desires to come after me. It's an invitation. And he wants heart. God always wants heart. He wants passion. He wants uh, a burning desire that can go all the way through the pain of having to deny yourself, arming yourself with whatever it takes to find the prize. Passion. Even the man who runs the race, run in such a way, you have to go there now, but run in such a way, and you can ask Carl, it's this, it takes passion, desire, strategy, everything to gain the prize. It's just the, it's the, the what and the how for the why and the who. Can I, can I just labor another little bit to make sure we're not making it easy for you? Um, and not giving you false hope. But uh, this denying of oneself doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in the presence. I'll teach you a little bit for you. We, 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 we buy the Spirit. So denying yourself, which is saying no to something. It's interesting, it says in and I'm sure it's Mark, Mark 4, I think, but it says that it was a desire for other things that quenches the Word. And I think that God's all-powerful, eh? all-powerful, but to think that the desire for other things can neutralize the most powerful person in the world and His Word. So there's something about desire that's so important. Burning desire. And He says... So when we talk about denying yourself, we're talking by the Spirit, by the Lord, in the Lord's presence, we're bringing those things, we're naming the things that we're saying no to, we name them and we confess them. There's always that element. If you don't know what God's calling to deny, how are you going to name it? How are you going to work with the Lord? We work with Him. We deny those things. We, we put things off, as the Scripture says. If you look at Ephesians, it's all about putting off and putting on. The two slices of bread, the, the slice of bread, butter on one side. We put off to put on. I wonder what God is asking you to say no to and what He's killing in your life that you can work with Him. 
Not only do we bring, not only we bring our, our sin and the things that are resisting the Lord, but we also bring our discouragement. We bring our disappointments, our losses, our anxiety, our hopelessness. We bring feelings of sorrow and pain. Now, these things aren't actually sin, but the way we respond to them either moves us towards God or away from Him. So you bring all of your heart to God. Sometimes denying yourself is not allowing pain to define who you are. Hopelessness, discouragement. We all live with those things. But it's, it's allowing those things to move you towards the Lord, not away from Him. It's working with Him. That's number two. We put on. When we follow in Christ, we put on. We, we are strengthened in, our, in our, 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 our rebirth selves. There's a self that God's killing, and there's a self that God's strengthening in you. The self that, that, that Jesus saved, the person He saved, is in Christ. That person is being strengthened. How is that person strengthened? By hearing God. By taking on His perspectives. This following is putting off things and putting on as we hear God, as we walk this road. Why am I telling you this? Because how can we run our race and how can we embrace the values we spoke about last week unless you know the ways of God and you work with Him? So why am I telling you this? Is because we're on a journey, church. And it takes this putting off and putting on Hearing God and changing for us to follow. This is 101 Christianity. Let me go a little bit further because a lot of people, it's like this language is not familiar to them. And we need to, we need to share and talk. I was hearing Andrew speak about it last night. He's got a certain way he communicates it. And I think we need a few different angles for us to find the ways of God on these things. But you know that you've got a, a self in you that's able to abide in Christ, that's in the righteousness of God, that that self can, can obey Him, that self is able to recognize the voice of God, that self works with the Holy Spirit to put off the old. That self is being strengthened by the Spirit even this morning. That self is to be celebrated, enjoyed, because God enjoys you. He didn't call you just to be a conduit or a host pipe. You've heard me preach about the person who led worship so well, and uh, the pastor came to come encourage them, and she said, no, pastor, it, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And, the, and, the, and the, the wise pastor said, no, no, my sweetie, it wasn't that good. <laughs> it's like we, we need to learn that there's a self that God has redeemed. We need to learn that God, that we work with God. So when you're denying yourself, you're not denying all of who you are. You're denying those parts of you that are resisting the Lord. I'll give you an example. When Cindy got up two weeks ago, now this is poetic life in Cindy, and um, what I mean is that what I'm going to share now maybe didn't happen in Cindy's heart, but I'm going to imagine what happened in her heart when she got up and she said, this is where I'm at and, and this is what's been happening. But Cindy got up and in my own words, she she named the sin of being offended or having unforgiveness. I wonder what the process looked like for her. And it took something of the presence of God. It wasn't in isolation. It took something of another to help her see what needed to be put down and put off and what had been named. 
I think, what, 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 what could have happened? Well, I wonder when she realized that God was asking her to name her sin and to confess her unforgiveness. How much pain surfaced? How much of this reasoning? Well, you know what? I understand why I am where I am. I'm justified in this position. How much of that thinking was there in the moment? How much wrestle was happening right as God was calling her to follow Him? And can you see that the old self, with all of its reasonings, would have had to be laid down? And she would have had to have bared the cost of, what does it look like for me to forgive? And the fear of, well, if I'm going to forgive, does it mean I'm trusting again? There's so much that's happening right in that modeling we saw two weeks ago. It's not just, well, naming something and all is done. There was a process of letting go and a process of embracing. Now, if you were going to speak to her, my guess is she would say, the life has come. Something God has shifted in me. It's a model, I think, of what God's doing in the church. Can you imagine if after the Sunday, I'm just imagining, <laughs> and there's this little niggle of, I'm feeling, I'm feeling afraid, because this means I need to trust again. So I've forgiven, that's one thing. I've, I've removed the wall, but what, what, what is the next step for me? And again, she has the wrestle. Is it the old self or the redeemed self following Christ that wins? And she could have, in this moment, it's possible, I don't know if I can do this, and in isolation take two steps back. I don't, and we have this wrestling of how to follow Christ in this thing of pursuing unity. But she could go, Lord, I'm feeling all the fear of this. I probably need to go and speak to Hannes. What does it look like for us to trust again? How are we going to work this out? And she steps and follows, and the, she follows the Spirit. And so she's not being defined by the fear of what could be, the pain of what's happened, the justification of her position, but she's following Christ. Can you see how it works out? Another example would be, Hannes said, we need to, we need to have the value of following the Spirit. I saw a great example of this. Uh, my home com, the com that I've been going to for a while, and I just feel like I'm at home there, is Clive and Carol's com, who uh, Dylan, Nolene, oversee as deacons. And uh, he all by himself contacts Mavis, Mavis the worship leader. And Mavis um, comes there, flows in the spirit, a whole lot of people receive prophetic words. Incredible. He has a com leader being led by the Spirit, his own initiative, uh, God's making a way, the value of being led by the Spirit right there. Hannah spoke about, um, he spoke about the, the value of honoring each other. That's a great value. What does it look like to live out this wrestling of, of the old and the new as a church right in that thing. Well, one thing I can say to you is he models it for us too. I, I don't want to throw too much sugar Hannes' way uh, because honor isn't flattery, it's, it's the truth. 
<laughs> but uh, I have been led by Hannes, I think, before his disciplinary time, at least a year or a year and a half. And I'm still amazed at the change in him. And this is now the truth, okay? This is not encouragement. The, the change in him from that time to this time. It's like the church feels a lot more open. The, the team is unified, but there's space for us. There's just space. Not that there wasn't space. It just feels very spacious. And he's honoring those around him incredibly. It's a modeling of a value. And uh, this thing is important to the Lord. Can I give you a couple of handles of how to live following the Lord, denying the old, embracing the new in this area? It's honoring each other. It's not just honoring the church. It's honoring all that God has put around you. Honoring is not just a good idea. It's literally we embodying something of the Lord. It's helping us run in our lanes. You know, lanes are to keep in your lane if you're an athlete. It's very important to not be disqualified. Honoring each other is a value that's going to help you win the prize and help us win the prize. What does it look like? When we honor someone and honor each other, it's not flattery like I said, but it's seeing who somebody else is. And defining them by who they are and not calibrating that with who they're not. Let me say it again. It's defining someone how God sees somebody and honoring that. It's a posture more than doing or saying the right thing. Yet the Scripture calls us to honor each other. And it's interesting how the Holy Spirit says this, and maybe I can use Mike Davies as, a, as an example. Mike's a brilliant teacher. We don't need to, after one of Mike's brilliant messages, go up to him and say, Mike, that was the best message I've ever heard. It's not applicable to him. Because the Scripture says the visible parts need less honor. But it's the invisible parts that need the honor. This will be applicable to Mark. Mark, thank you so much for serving us this morning. That's in the Spirit. So, who in your community is God calling you to honor? How do you honor the one who leads you? How do you honor your husband? How do husbands honor their wives? The Bible very carefully says they're the weaker vessel. Hopefully, I'm not adjusting the scriptures here, but I would interpret it as the gentler vessel, the one who is he's being led. And there's an honoring of that. We as men often make humorous jokes about our wives in the light of that, and we actually get very close to dishonor in the way that God has made them. And the scripture says that if a man doesn't honor his wife, God won't hear his prayers. Hmm. Hmm. Often we hear the thing the other way, you know, wives must honor their husbands. And they do. They need to respect their husbands and honor them. But it also goes the other way. Children, honor your parents. And so there's a posture of honor that God's calling us as a church to value and to work out. It'd be very easy to hear this and go, hmm, that sounds nice. Pass, carry on. What's the Lord, what's the Lord checking inside of you? I'm almost ending, eh? so don't, this is not going to carry on forever. I'm coming in for landing now. 
I was at a, um, I won't mention any names, but uh, with a couple, and we were working through some things, and, and it wasn't on my heart at all, and I didn't think that this needed to happen in their lives. But as she was talking, I just realized there's a posturing that needs to shift in her heart that would allow her to honor her husband and release the Holy Spirit. It's very important. In our context, there's a posturing of our hearts that's so critical as well in our marriages, but also towards our leaders. Who leads you? Your posture, your perspective has great influence on you. I witnessed something a couple of weeks ago that really impacted me. I was at a leader's training time with Hannes, and I think Mike Davies was there, and Andrew was teaching. And it was, the context of the teaching was that many of the guys, very busy, are often traveling without their wives, or they're attending events, and because of all the multiple responsibilities, you know, the, the wife is looking after the children, and the husbands are attending, and it's just, he was explaining, you know, just the reality of life. But he said there's a value there's a value that we really need to fight for. And that's the value that as a couple, we model team and we're together in the call of God. And everyone, including myself, are going, oh, taking some notes, considering it. Uh, yeah. And Andrew was, could see he was laboring away. He was sick at the time. But Brad Verena heard that. And immediately, immediately he Phones Angela, who is in Port Elizabeth. This is, we're in Cape Town. She's in Port Elizabeth. She says, he says to her, Angela, I just feel like God wants us to obey him now. I'm going like, and I heard, I was like, you know, that's when you're a little bit suspicious of hearing something. You're like, you're going like, why is he doing that? Like, I didn't have a witness in my heart. I was like, I didn't have the same urgency. And uh, he could see the value of the prize. He could, see, he could see the consequence of taking this thing lightly and seeing it as a consideration. He phones her. Immediately, she's on a plane. This is like a Wednesday afternoon quite late, I think. The, the, the whole thing's finishing on Friday morning. It's inconvenience. It's at high cost. And the next morning, there's Angela with us. And I was just impacted. There's a value that's been put on the table, and immediately Brad has responded, a different spirit. You know, when I go to Oxygen Life, I can see that different spirit among them. And what's, what's so interesting to me is that you've heard about Caleb and Joshua. God said they have a different spirit, a different spirit. And uh, I was quite surprised to hear that the people of Israel who are running their race, I often think when I think of race, I think of like 100 meters, maybe 400 meters. Uh, if you're a long-distance athlete like Carlitz, it can be 42 kilometers or, or whatever, those 90-kilometer races. But their race was a long trek through the desert, quite something. And I can't get into another teaching now, but their, their greatest crossing of the line was they complaining about what they were going through. And they were, being, they were constantly seeing the what and the how as majors, and the why and the who got lost in their perspective. 
You know what they complained ten times? Ten times in the Scriptures. Ten times, and God gave them a measure of discipline. First, He overlooked it, gave them a measure of discipline. Then further, on the tenth time, He said to them, now you can't enter the land. Forty years, you're going to wander. Why? Because they had become a certain type of person and people who you couldn't work with. And their modeling was so contagious because Hannah said that who you are is what people catch, not what you say. What we preach, yeah, isn't necessarily the truth unless it's lived out. And he says they need to die. Not just them, their children and their children. That's the only way we're going to redeem this. And so he allows our whole multiple generations to die so that the power of modeling doesn't destroy the purpose of God. And so one of the things that God's doing in us, He's challenging us to immediate obedience and recognizing the absolute value of being models for Christ, because we either move people towards Him or away from Him, because who we are is what people catch. Let's stand.